Who approaches the specter? Are you native to these borderlands of form and reason? In a city of horror, I swore to protect the innocent. When I failed, he swore to avenge them. Darkness to Light, hosted by Emily and Alan Middleton. We aim to explore what takes place at the corner of theology and geekology. Episode 2, God's Right Hand of Vengeance. For kids! Welcome to Episode 2 of Darkness to Light, the show where we take a look at pop culture, mostly comic books, in terms of where those stories intersect with concepts like religion, faith, theology, and spirituality. Now, we said back in Episode 1 that this would be an occasional cast. And with Emily having moved into her new apartment after our last episode, she's been busy, and I've been back teaching a full load for the semester, and time has just passed. We have been putting out material on the blog spot. Uh, there was a few notable appearances of biblical quotes in some TV shows that you might recognize, some book reviews. Uh, as always, we've got some comic book reviews that go on that website. There's been activity on the Tumblr, articles, videos... Lots of really, really, really bad jokes, if anyone else is interested in those. <laughs> but my goal is now to be a better theologian than Fox Mulder. <laughs> I think I can handle that. It's so, good to have a goal. <laughs> this episode, we're taking a pretty brief overview of a certain character, co-created by Jerry Siegel, something like 75 years ago. No. No, not that guy. The other guy. The Spectre. Come on, he's the embodiment of God's vengeance. Of course it wouldn't take us very long to get to him on this show. And frankly, the Superman as both Messiah and Moses has kind of been done to death. We'll do it at some point, I'm sure, but that's kind of cliche at this point, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, because if there is any phrase you can use to describe us, it is theological hipsters. <laughs> And did Superman show up on Constantine? I don't think so. Did the Spectre? Mm, we'll get to it. <laughs> so our plan is to take the long view of the Spectre's publishing history, hit what we think are some of the highlights, and just what we think of those various versions of the character as he's been portrayed over the years. There's a man going around taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground? 
So, as is only logical, we will begin at the beginning. More Fun Comics 52 and 53, cover dated February and March of 1940. The new character was featured on the cover and was the lead story in each issue with 10 pages each. Written by Jerry Siegel with art by Bernard Bailey. The two-part story begins with hard-boiled cop Jim Corrigan. He's on his way to a party to announce his engagement to wealthy young socialite Clarice Winston. On the way, he gets a tip about a big-time robbery and heads there before the party. The tip is right on, and Detective Corrigan, two-fisted man of action, jumps in and takes down the gang of goons. No, that's what they're called. The gang of goons. An angry Clarice finds him and takes him to the party, but they are waylaid by the head mobster, Gat Benson. And then our hero is murdered stuffed into a barrel filled with cement, and drowned. He follows a bright light to his final reward, but finds himself suspended before he can pass through the gates of eternity. The Voice sends him back to Earth with supernatural powers to eliminate all vestiges of evil. No pressure. Yeah, that's a small task. He is sent back to the bottom of the water, where he sees his dead body and realizes it was all true. Having discovered some interesting powers that he is now gifted with, he hears Clarice's cry. She's in the hands of those deadly killers. His presence freaks out the crooks, and he systematically begins seeking bloody vengeance against Corrigan's murderers in a grim and supernatural fashion. For an example, he turns one of them into a skeleton merely by touching him. Jim Corrigan soon creates his signature green and white costume, but also breaks off his romance with Clarice. Since he is no longer human, he feels he has to make a clean break of it with her, since he has no right to marry her. He decides to continue being Detective Jim Corrigan, assuming the identity of the Spectre as needed. We're also going to cover his first post-origin adventure in issue 54, but let's just talk about this origin story. For one thing, it was a two-parter. Right. It was a 20-page story, but... They would only put, you know, 10 pages at a time in these uh, anthology comics of the time. So it was actually split over over two issues. They obviously thought they had something good, put them on the cover, lead story. So what did you think with this as an origin, the source of the powers, etc.? I love this concept. I am always here for really any sort of supernatural story. It mm-hmm. really just sort of... And uh, scratches an itch for me. I, I really enjoy when people look into how the afterlife works or the relationship between the living and the dead. And I, I just find that stuff interesting. I mean, my favorite kids movie of last year was Book of Life. Mm, right. So this is just sort of a thing that mm-hmm. I, I personally really enjoy. But I just love that concept of, of an avenging spirit being our hero. Right. I think that's a cool concept. It's definitely a... 1930s, 1940s, Depression era, grim type of, you know, Avenger. I mean, not too surprising. And the classic one, Batman, was created not too long before this. And we've got the Shadow and various other sort of these somewhat cosmic uh, entities all sort of appearing at, at around this time. And for the most part, we'll talk about this, but for the most part, they've stuck with this origin. It was a little 
hiatus for about a decade or two when the specter was something other than a human. But this is the really unintentional beginning of a sort of somewhat consistent cosmology for DC. It seems that as they introduced other magical and supernatural characters, and those are not the same thing, magic-based and supernatural-based, to our minds. Yeah, and we'll get to that at some point, but... You know, but they've sort of tried to you know, integrate all of those things, all of those beings and all of those powers and all of those creations into a world that maybe almost sort of makes some comic book sense in terms of attempting to put a continuity onto it. There's uh, one issue uh, we're going to talk about today in specific talks about the specter going up against another similarly powered being. And in the recap, you said that he was sent back by the voice. Mm -hmm. That is the correct way to pronounce that. All caps. (laughs) And if you could add a little bass boost as you say it and get a little thunder rolling, that would really help. But yes. That would be the, uh, yeah, that that is the the correct pronunciation is the the voice. voice. (laughs) Which is, not burying the lead here, um, Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Jehovah, the the Jewish God of the universe. Mm-hmm. It's it's actual factual God, as I like to refer to him on this podcast. And we'll talk about, as we said, sort of where some of the other gods fit in. And does it make sense to have multiple gods, multiple pantheons running around? Those well, are among the things we'll, we plan on talking about in this episode. Stay tuned. <laughs> now... So said this book is published in, in early 1940, so it was written in, in, in 39 or 38, maybe even. And at this point, we might not know the extent of what Hitler is doing in Germany, but we know a fair amount. And there's a legitimate debate in the U.S. about whether we should intervene militarily. This is more than a year and a half before our entry into the war following the attack on Pearl Harbor. And again, there were some people calling for us to go in to Europe and take on Hitler directly. And certainly some of what was happening among the Jewish populations of Europe was known, again, not to the extent, but we knew things were not going well for them, and certainly the Jewish community realized that. So the idea of God empowering a being directly to eliminate evil from the earth it does sort of make sense that this character would be created by a Jewish man. And this is a thing that I like to bring up occasionally because so many of the great comic book creators in the Golden Age were Jewish. But people occasionally like to throw out the quote, that time Cap punched Hitler. Mm -hmm. And I just want to sort of underline for both of those stories of this sort of fantasy where there is a being divinely appointed by God to root out evil and of creating the perfect all-American man to just go punch Hitler in the face. Both of these stories happened before the U.S. was officially involved. Mm -hmm. This was, we should be doing this. We're going to make, um, guys, this is not okay. This should be happening. There should be people going and punching Hitler in the face. There should be people going and rooting out evil in a cosmic sense. Mm-hmm. There is a sense in which, you know, this character, as you said, you know, some of the other 
comic book events in 39 and 40 and, in, and into 41 are political advocacy, mm-hmm. certainly in to some extent in, in some ways. And uh, wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. as comic books mm-hmm. pretty much always are. Yeah, and, and it's not really necessarily a matter just of the religious content necessarily. I don't think that Siegel was a particularly religious man in terms of practicing, for just from what I understand. But most American Jews of the era, no matter whether and they were practicing or not, were concerned about what was happening to their people. In some cases, their actual families, mm-hmm. one or two generations or one or two years ago after after fleeing. You know, that that they had left behind in Europe at the time. And then we continue the adventures of Jim Corrigan as the Spectre in the next issue, More Fun 54. And in this one, Clarice, even though they're broken up, she asks Jim for help with Ronnie Set, a supernaturalist who she fears is fleecing her mother for her money. The Spectre reveals the fraud and Ronnie sends his goon after Corrigan because he must have been behind it somehow. After fighting him off, Ronnie's team kidnaps Clarice. After the ransom money is paid, the Spectre follows the kidnappers back to their place, and then a bullet is fired at Clarice. Before he can intervene, he is called back before the voice, told that he has been permitted to enter eternity, but he must choose now, once and for all to enter eternity, or return to the Earth forever. He hurtles back to Earth, explodes the bullet in midair before it reaches Clarice, saves her, and then he stares the crooks to death. More fun, right? (laughs) You know, there is something about the titles of the books that these classic characters appeared in Superman action comics he's the perfect man of action we've got the world's greatest detective for Batman that perfectly fits Wonder Woman she's a sensation again the character the debut book they make perfect sense and then Emily ran across the greatest sentence promoting the debut of the Spectre Something to the effect of, what was it? His first appearance in More Fun Comics 52 follows hard-boiled cop Jim Corrigan as he is murdered by gangsters, buried in a barrel of cement and thrown into the river, only to return as a spirit of vengeance, exacting penalty on the man who killed him. Now that's a long sentence, but if we wanted to edit that down to two words, it would be, More Fun! Right? Totally. (laughs) Okay, there's maybe one little misfit there between the book and the yeah, content. One of these the things sto- is not like the other. <laughs> what did you think of this story? This, I think, is the perfect status quo story. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is the template. This is awesome. And really, honestly, when I read this story the first time, I finished it and thought, hmm, I should go read some Tintin. Yeah. Because... <laughs> There is kidnappings and car chases and gunplay and uh, meeting under bridges and exchanging ransom money and following people and, you know, doing all of this mm-hmm. espionage-ish sort of detective work. And it, 
It's a really, really, really good story. I liked that Clarice was still involved. See, I was surprised. I thought she would just be gone. But and and I, these are the only ones that we've read of this very, very early era. So I don't know how long she stays around. But that added a sense of, to use the two thousands version of the word, angst. Mm. I mean, there really is a CW ness. <laughs> you know, quite, I mean, they're older than CW characters, but there's that there's that sort of heartbreak aspect to the story is really melodramatic mm-hmm. aspect of the story especially if she stays around for a while that, I, that just that just continues that and i love that it's not i'm here because you're my ex and i'm here to talk about that it's you're a cop my my grandmother my aunt or whoever is, is in trouble come help me and they do call that out because was it the mom or the aunt whoever it is says what are you doing here? <laughs> Which is Because they show great. up, they all show up for the seance, for the fake seance. And she says, uh, Jim? <laughs> Why are you here? Why are you here? You are out of our lives. So I, I like I like that callback. There's some actual... Continuity. S- yeah, there's some subtle there... 1940s writing, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. If only I could forget this grim mission and achieve eternal rest. No, the world needs me. Then he's given the choice. That's a tough one. It is. I mean, you'd think maybe if if the voice, if God had called him maybe at a different moment, when a bullet was not hurtling at his ex, goes back to save her, and then condemns himself. I think that's probably the appropriate word, condemns himself mm-hmm. to this life. And I really enjoyed that. That sort of sense of sacrifice mm-hmm. is really something that I do think about when I think of the specter. That there is mm, right. some sense of sacrifice, penance, weight. Like, it is not easy to be the host of the Spectre. Mm-hmm. And that there there is a, a feeling that you are giving up something mm-hmm. in order to carry this massive, necessary weight. Which has been historically associated with a call from the Lord into mm-hmm. the priesthood or the monastery into the convent or or whatever that aspect is. Yeah, the specter really is a character who falls somewhere between a prophet and an angel. Mm-hmm. That he is not officially a member of the heavenly host, that there is free will. Right. Arminianist shout out. <laughs> that he is not bound to this, he chooses this mm-hmm. in in some sense. And then faces the appropriate consequences. There is a reaping and a sowing aspect Mm -hmm. uh, to this. This choice that he's made has consequences. I also liked a sort of a subtle, maybe not so subtle irony here, in that we have a real supernatural being breaking up the fraudulent seance. And and the bilking This is my favorite, (laughs) favorite thing ever. And every Supernatural show does it, most notably Supernatural. Probably my favorite episode from the early seasons of Supernatural, where Sam and Dean go to break up some haunted house, and they're looking around at all these weird symbols, and Dean keeps going, there's something off here, and I can't put my finger on it. And then he realizes the mystical symbol that's been drawn everywhere is the blue oyster cult symbol. (laughs) And goes and tracks down the kid at the record store and goes, okay, kid, seriously? (laughs) <laughs> like, that's always my favorite thing, or when people get get called in or, or go to investigate some sort of 
supernatural thing and it's just frauds and Mm-hmm. Or, you know, my personal favorite John Constantine thing ever is, I'm hard up for money. I, an actual factual magician, am going to stage a fake seance because I need bus fare. <laughs> ghosts at fake seances is yes. my favorite thing. Real ghosts, yes. <laughs> and basically we've got the Spectre appearing here in More Fun and then also as a member of the Justice Society. For about five years, mm-hmm. till the mid-40s. And at that point, after the war, and the beginning of the baby boom, and the start of the development of middle classes in America, and suburbia, and, and, and all of that, really an, an era of prosperity for a while. Uh, a lot of comic books took a hit. It seems the Spectre as a character took an even bigger hit. Perhaps not appearing for 20-plus years... Or very, very rarely from the mid-40s to the mid-60s, depending where you look. Can't always tell if something's a reprint or something, but it's possible that there was not a new Spectre story until the mid-1960s. And when I poked around, I think I found 10 appearances Mm, over 20 years. And again, at least half of those were probably reprints. Right. Think, even in reprints. (laughs) Right. This poor guy couldn't get a break. This wasn't... Again, what what worked in a world of depression on the brink of world war mm-hmm. might not work in the exact same way in an era of prosperity and education and, and growth and white collar jobs and a whole different America being being created. And also because I'm on this show, this time period is 1945 to 1964, what we generally consider to be the start of and sort of height of the Silver Age, brought about largely by one Frederick Wortham. Right. If you think about the comics code, Jim Corrigan, the Spectre, is an undead entity who kills people. Like, that is his that's entire a, premise. That's bad on many levels. That is... O for two. (laughs) In terms of the comics code. And the people he kills are mostly murderers and rapists. And he's doing it for a capital G, capital R, good reason. You would think maybe the presence of the voice would be an acceptable excuse for the specter, but no, I don't think so. But any sort of supernatural, ghost raising, nothing, even things like this, of having a fake seance. You can't even have that, so... His entire shtick yes. was pretty much just erased. It's at this point that we mention, for if Luke Giaconetti were here, he would. When Marvel created Morbius, he was not really a vampire. He was a scientific vampire. A living, living vampire. Jim Corrigan is not a living ghost. He is a ghost, spirit of vengeance, killer, yeah. and a lot of those things just don't. Yeah, he didn't work in the Wortham era and then the Silver Age silliness that followed. Despite our jokes about more fun, it does not really qualify as silly No, in the Silver Age variety. No, and it's actually, there's pathos and it is a, a pulp novel. Like exactly. Like hard-boiled mm-hmm. detective, supernatural thrill story and just did not fit in. There was a Spectre title in the 60s, mid-60s, that ran for a little while. 
And then there were some appearances in the 70s, but we're going to jump up in terms of specific appearances into the 80s, sort of the tail end of the Bronze Age. And one that I found just by happenstance a couple days ago was All-Star Squadron 21, cover dated May 1983. And I wasn't expecting a Spectre appearance. I was reading it because I had some All-Star Squadron at the top of the stack of the to-be-read pile. So I read it. and But if you think about it, All-Star Squadron takes place in the 1940s. Roy Thomas is writing the book in the 80s, but he's writing about events from the 40s. And the Spectre, as we said, was a member of the JSA. So I like this story. It sort of bridges the Bronze and the Golden Ages. So in the plot of the one that I read, the Spectre, he has not answered it particular call to action that all the heroes were replying to. And the JSAers wonder sort of where he is. And this is really the only the only Spectre reference, but I thought it was good. Starman comments that, you know, he always seemed to have roughly the powers of God, yet he didn't sense our danger here and show up. And then they're concerned about what's going on with the Spectre. Can we try to track him down? They didn't ask it, but I would say, do you really want to? As we'll later you know, As come we'll get to, to. See, you really don't want to push and annoy the Spectre. No. You'd let him do his own thing. But I kind of like that, again, it was sort of 40 years later. I really think Roy Thomas really captured had a pretty good understanding of that Spectre's origin, of that original concept to say he was pretty much roughly had the powers of God. I think that's a pretty accurate description of the Spectre. So we mentioned earlier that there is a difference between the supernatural characters and the mystical characters. Mm -hmm. However, both do fall into this very weird Mm -hmm. corner of the DC universe that not a lot of people know about and even fewer people are really interested in. But someone who really brought that whole corner of DC weirdness back into the forefront was Alan Moore. Yes. And... In his Swamp Thing run, there is an issue of Swamp Thing Annual 2, which I like to casually refer to as Swamp Thing Goes to Hell. The plot of that issue is that Abby Arcane, Swamp Thing's girlfriend, romantic lead, best friend, ally, etc., has been killed. And through comic book plot, they are able to restore her life, but not her soul. And in order to get her back... Swamp Thing must extend his consciousness beyond the physical world, outside of the reach of the green, and into the land of the dead. And I love this issue. Mm -hmm. When I was reading the Swamp Thing volumes, when I (laughs) fell down the vertigo vortex several years ago, (laughs) I started with Swamp Thing. Because we happen to have it on the shelves at work, and eh, sure, whatever. Volume 1. Pretty good. You know, you're more monstery. Not really quite my thing, but it was good. Volume 2, you know, some more plot-y stuff. It was a little more magical. And then right at the end, you had Dead Man, Phantom Stranger, Etrigan the Demon, and of course, the Spectre. All serving as the gatekeepers to the lands of the dead. And I think this issue is just fantastic, because Alan Moore being Alan Moore, does not shy away from the weirdness of the DC universe, but just 
turns right into that skid mm-hmm. and is does a great job of explaining the really complex, convoluted DC cosmology, especially by this point. It's the mid-80s. It's been 40 years since we had The Voice. <laughs> and since then, we've had Dead Man and The Demon and Phantom Stranger. Constantine is on the verge of, of entering the world. Zatanna. And so there have been some more of these similar types of characters. Even people going back and looking again at Wonder Woman mm, and right. and integrating the the Greek gods. Right. Uh, by this point, the new gods mm-hmm. are part of the DC universe. We have two complete pantheons right. who do not speak to each other and are very different types of gods. And yet it all is canon. And... Alan Moore does what you are supposed to do with the DC Universe. He does not try to make it make sense. He just presents it. Takes it as it is. And and assumes it makes sense. Or presents it as if. But does not go through the convoluted, necessarily, steps. But Of actually trying to synthesize it. He just says, when you die, who's the first man you meet? Dead man. They're in the gray area between the lands of the living and the lands of the dead. And Swamp Thing asks him. It's it's a very it's a very Grecian feeling of an Odysseus, mm-hmm. you know, like descending into the underworld and meeting these various spirits who explain what death is. And when he meets Dead Man, he asks, Is this the land of the dead? And Dead Man says, No, no, no. Basically here I'm the doorman. I'll let you in, but I'm not in charge. This being is in charge. And here's the here's the door. You want to speak to her. Her? And then the Phantom Stranger comes up and says, I will take you from this point. And Swamp Thing asks him, What what about this being, this 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 goddess who apparently rules the lands of the dead? And the Phantom Stranger says, Oh no, dead man, he doesn't have a he doesn't understand an even a tenth. Let me explain how the lands of the dead work. And from there they proceed, and he says, I can take you no farther. You must go on alone. And they walk into a light far, get far a full out. Plate, full page splash, and we have to credit Steve Bissett as the artist here. And what they are standing in, this vast light opening before them, is in fact the specter's eye. The specter is opening his eye. That is what is letting in the light into... The vast part of the underworld that they were in, that Dead Man thought was everything. No, there's more to it than that, and all that they've gotten to so far is inside the Spectre's eyeball. And when they come out of the eye, and they need to know where they go from there, Swamp Thing asks the Spectre, are you in charge? And the Spectre says something to the extent of, as vast as you find me, as incomprehensible as what you see before you is, that is how incomprehensible this is to me. Mm-hmm. And you just get this scale of as you're going along. You start with Dead Man. Okay. This, I can, I can understand. Move on to the Phantom Stranger. Okay, I can't quite understand this, but I'm, I'm sort of getting along with it. Then the Spectre. And nothing makes sense. There's this void and the specter doesn't even try to explain he Mm -hmm. says you cannot comprehend this and i like that you know the specter is often portrayed when he specters out as being physically large 
Yeah, like 30, 40, 80 feet. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea of scale. But here you're getting that the idea that the scale and the scope of the specter compared to the other mystical beings, how how different that is. Mm-hmm. The measure of the, how much bigger he is than them and how much smaller he is than the voice or than God. As you said, the scale and the scope sort of the physical and spiritual side, but this 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 unknowability, I think, is a great touch that, that Moore adds right here, sort of to the legend of the Spectre. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think Moore just gets. This whole sequence, because later later on in issue 50, which I believe is The End Is Nigh, mm-hmm. and you get all of the DC mystical, all right. of the DC supernatural, all teaming up to save the world. And... In, in that, you get a return of the Fan of Stranger and Dead Man. You also get Etrigan. You pull in a Doctor Occult. Doctor Fate. And Zatanna and Zatara. Zatara. And, of course, because he's everywhere, John Constantine. Mm-hmm. He's basically everyone's that guy. Don't worry. I know a guy. Yeah. Well, they know him. He, yeah. he puts the party together and then sends them off to do the actual fighting. <laughs> so I really like that. Not even really examining the Spectre as a character that Moore gets, especially by this point, the Spectre is not a hero. Mm-hmm. The Spectre is barely a character. It's a being, perhaps. He is a I... force mm-hmm. of spiritual nature. You know, to, to crib a line from one of my favorite movies ever, you know, when you see a hurricane coming, you get out of the way. But when you're in a Jaeger, you can fight the hurricane and you can win. There is nothing you can do. <laughs> To fight the Spectre and win. Even when you see him on our plane of existence and he's 65 feet tall, that is still so much of a tiny fraction of his true power that it just boggles the mind. Mm -hmm. And that sort of vast incomprehensibility as something that I think is really important to the character of the Spectre and makes him just such a fascinating thing. That exists. And it's it's not our intent to turn every comic book into a preaching exercise or a Bible study. But I do want to mention two Bible quotes that that I think conceptually are being portrayed here, whether implicitly or or explicitly. And one is one of my personal favorite uh, Bible verses of all time from Isaiah 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I like this idea that the specter is not just a little bit higher. God's ways, God's thoughts, not just a little bit above ours. It is on a whole different plane. And trying to understand what the specter is thinking or doing or is is not an easy task and then to take it that one step further but he is just a small teeny portion of the power behind him and then the other bible quote that this reminded me of really just as you were speaking really reminded me of is we found it in first peter the first chapter the 12th verse, where it says it was revealed to them, meaning the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but God, 
when God spoke of these things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel. In essence, he's talking about the mystery of Christ coming into the world and the mystery of grace and, and that new thing that God had done. And it says, even the angels long to look into these things. And I love that because what was happening cosmically was so strange and unusual so bizarre. and unknowable that the angels didn't understand it. The prophets caught a glimpse of it. They didn't understand it. But even the angels do not understand what was happening. And I just like that in terms of, again, the scale of if the specter is the most powerful, well, I have some examples of this that, that bear this, bear this out. That if he's the most powerful of the beings, but he's answering to someone. To who, <laughs> who does he get who? his marching orders from? And wow. I think that's what Moore is really getting at, certainly in this, in this annual. It's again, annual two from 1985. All that happens, 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 happens by, decree by decree of one will. will. There is one voice that speaks in all things. And we go from one great comic creator and a truly seminal key mm -hmm. story of the Spectre's publishing history to another. In the 1990s, post-crisis, there was a change in the origin and a sort of reboot, reimagining mm -hmm. of the Spectre. Written by former theology student... John Ostrander. That's how we're going to introduce him. It's that, like... Uh, this is official title on Darkness Delight. Former theology student, John Ostrander. Much like uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be unto his name. <laughs> so, what we have here in terms of the new origin is that there was a an archangel that's banished from heaven after the war you know, led by Lucifer. He begs heaven for forgiveness after some time, and God transforms him uh, into the specter. And that's in response to the first attempt by God. This is, uh, again, part of the, the new origin or retconning of the specter is that he's, he comes after God's failed experiment using Eclipso for this, with Eclipso taking the whole Wrath of God thing. Just a, a little, little literally. little too seriously. Okay, we don't have to wipe out every sin and evil, okay? We maybe don't have to literally flood the planet, Eclipso. But just in thinking about this, we love the notion that the specter that we have is the nice... Cuddly version. Yeah, this is the this is the warmer, friendlier version. Yeah, the, the merciful specter who is only going to kill all of your firstborn children and not literally drown you in fire. So this is a run that we haven't read much of. Uh, you know, there are more holes in the collection than there are books in the collection. Yeah. But this is one that, I mean, I, I've heard great things about the Ostrander run. Mm -hmm. Or the Ostrander Mandrake run. And of course we first found this because he created another great, you know, that was a miniseries, but a great series mm -hmm. about another Jerry Siegel character sort of reimagined in a different context, which was the Kents. This is going to be right up our alley. <laughs> and again, this is the Spectre without Jim Corrigan. Mm -hmm. This is, as we said, just the, really, the angelic, the more directly spiritual 
mm-hmm. version, not a... Independent not a, spiritual being. Yeah. So really pulling it out of the traditional comic book model. In particular, the one I wanted to look at was issue 14. I talked about this a little bit on the Comics Reading Journal a couple months ago. You and I, over, I guess, Labor Day, mm-hmm. sort of went through our collection, see what we had and didn't have. And for me, it was a big reorg that you helped with. Then this was one that we had a duplicate of. So it sort of stayed out for a while. And I flipped through it and it looked to be a fill-in issue. So it looked to be a not part of the ongoing stories. This is a safe way to read an issue of the Spectre, get a feel for it, and, and not be lost. So again, it's it's uh, Spectre 14, cover dated January 1994. And boy, did I get more than I bargained for in terms of this is what the, we're interested in, the uh, quintessential darkness to light comic book. This is the issue that was written for us, for you and me, <laughs> audience of three, you, me, and John Ostrander were probably the only people who cared about this concept, but Oh boy, is it an amazing concept. I throw it up there with Swamp Thing Goes to Hell Mm -hmm. as just one of the greatest elevator pitches for a cosmologically, theologically interesting comic book. So this is a fill-in, like I said, but what a fill-in it is. At least, again, for our our purposes here uh, today. The frame story is the Phantom Stranger, and he's talking to a priest and they're talking about the Spectre and whatever adventures and things he had been doing in, in, in prior issues. Hint, they didn't seem to be all that good. Yeah. <laughs> Wreaking a little bit of vengeance and, and, and havoc. Uh, yeah, uh, laying down destruction upon the heads of the wicked. So, Phantom Stranger is talking to this priest who has some questions. But he talks about, which tells that Eclipso being then replaced sort of by, by the Spectre. Tells that origin and then... But then the bulk of the issue is a retelling of the story of the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt. So if you're my generation or older, you can think about the Ten Commandments. If you're me, you immediately think of Prince of Egypt. Same story, told slightly differently. But he's telling that story. But here, the story is not just the confrontation of Moses and Pharaoh, but it's reimagined as, in fact a battle between the Spectre and Nabu, who does refer to himself more than once as a Lord of Order, and does a couple times get the whole sort of Dr. Fate helmet and Dr. Fate look. So what, just what an awesome concept. Oh, amazing. If one of my personal comic book gripes is that there's not enough stuff about Jewishness in a medium that was primarily created by Jewish men. So it takes John Ostrander to tell this story, though. <laughs> the other thing that just grinds my gears is how little the Egyptian gods mm. and Egyptian culture are in things. So anytime you have Egyptology in your story, sign me right up. Anytime you have the specter in a story, sign me up. If that story is going to be a retelling of an Old Testament story... Featuring comic book characters, oh yeah, I'm there. Thank you, former theology student John Ostrander. So we're going to talk a little bit about this story, because there's a lot to talk about in it. But also wanted to give maybe a, a spoiler or a recommendation that, from what I understand, the current, ongoing, brand new DCU Dr. Fate book does talk a lot about that about the Egyptology version of it. And 
Uh, Ed Moore is covering that on his Lords of Order podcast, his Dr. Fate podcast. And uh, once a trade or two comes out, I'm not promising anything. But maybe, we... maybe a blog post, maybe an episode. It is it is on the it is on the list of possible things for us to talk about. I have already decided when the new DCU books were you know announced. It was already decided in my mind that I was going to be buying Doctor Fate once the trades were out. Yeah, we will have the books. Just statements. Just saying. <laughs> so, to talk just a little bit about what is in this particular issue. First of all, the art. This is actually Joe Phillips is doing the fill-in art here. And the specter is portrayed. I don't know if it's just here in the context of this story or if this was the case when Mandrake was drawing the regular run. But the specter is a very skeleton being. I mean, it's a little, it's a little ghost rider. You know, it's a... Mm -hmm. It's a white bleached skeleton skull is really what you're looking at there within the, the classic the green cape. Green cloak. And I mean, frankly, when in this story he is primarily cast as the angel of death, mm -hmm. among other roles, but right. that's the big one. It really, really works with the, the concept of the character in all versions being some form of undead. You know, working for God in some sort of manner of retribution. I have no idea who pitched this story to who, but whoever did was a genius. <laughs> so again, you know, Phantom Stranger is narrating the story in the present day. And what I like about the art in it is that the art style sort of jumps back and forth from, you know, classic comic book art telling the story. And every couple pages, there are a few Egyptian hieroglyphs that sort of take the place of the action. And that's, mm -hmm. again, you're really... Blending the the mm -hmm. historical aspect of this being really historical fiction. Another thing that we love, <laughs> and we really love when John Ostrander does yeah. it. So it's part historical fiction, part theological metatext. Part epic story. Part epic sweeping. Historical retelling. Fantasy it's, story. and It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And... Pharaoh has the people of Israel as slaves, and Moses is saying, let my people go. And you have these various plagues that are coming, and you have Moses talking to Pharaoh, and then Moses also talking to Nabu as sort of the chief, the chief wizard. You know, Moses saying that this is God, this is divine. Of course, Pharaoh is pretty sure that he's divine too. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the way of kings back then. So we have Pharaoh saying, but I am also a god, descended from gods. You know, so he's he's pretty clear about his position. Mm -hmm. He is certain of his rank in mm -hmm. the cosmological order of right. things. His right to rule this people, his right to rule this area. Yes, and he, as a divine being himself, is clearly more powerful than Moses, and Moses says to him, you are mistaken, O Pharaoh, for this is not a request. Watch that you learn that the Lord is God. We wanted to take a little break here to do mm. some darkness to light vocabulary. First, this this concept, this idea of Human beings becoming mm. divine and being divine beings is a term called apotheosis, which is another great word <laughs> for that. And, and, and a number of religions 
have that as part of their belief and, 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 and practices that either in this life or in the next life, some or all of us. That there is a, an ascendant. Can, can be ascended, can be elevated. So that, and that is, he said, apotheosis. And in this case, Pharaoh's pretty sure it's already happened to him. Oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, we also wanted to take a moment and talk about a couple of terms that we've talked about on uh, our other show, Shortbox Showcase, as mm-hmm. they have come up. And this is a perfect excuse to talk about it. The ideas of henotheism and monolatry. Which are almost the same. For practical purposes, I would say they are the same. Mm-hmm. It, For theological nerds. In terms of detailed, specific theology, slight differences. But they, they both relate to the idea, separate from monotheism. Mm-hmm which states that there is one God, period. These are subtle differences to that. Both of these acknowledge the presence of multiple beings who could be termed under some definitions gods or spiritual forces, but it's a matter of which are worthy. Mm -hmm. And if you want a a sort of a strict definition or a, a strict difference between the two, Henotheism is the belief set, is -hmm. the idea that many other gods either do exist or might exist, but only my personal god is worthy of reverence and worship. Mm -hmm. I like the analogy that I saw was that henotheism is like being a really passionate sports fan. For us around here in central Ohio, it might be the Ohio State football Buckeyes that are almost worshipped. But <laughs> but that's not where I was going. You know, but the idea that... Well, that, you can't, you, you are called a heretic if you don't wear... There is some it, it, you got, scarlet and gray you wear your on Saturdays. Gray on Saturdays. You know, but the idea is that you can admit that there are other teams that are good, other teams that are worthy... But you can still like yours the best or believe that yours is the best. But there is an acknowledgement that other teams and universities might have something going for them. Mm-hmm. But not, not nearly as good. But they are not yours. You exactly. don't have that personal mm-hmm. sort of deep-seated ownership right. or, or stake in, in those other groups. Now, monolatry is the practice. Mm-hmm. So henotheism is the belief, the sort of internal headspace and worldview, and monolatry is what you actually do. That is the, you recognize that other gods exist, but there is only one that you worship. That gets your separation from pantheism Hmm. or polytheism. That it's not that you believe all gods exist and all gods are the same or all gods are worshipped at once when you worship one. It's not that. They are all separate and distinct. And this is the one, the only mm-hmm. one that you focus on. And again, for practical purposes, and under some definitions, it's probably appropriate to call the Old Testament a monotheistic religion. Again, it sort of depends on your definition of the theist part of that. But I think theologians are now sort of by broadening that definition are saying probably that monolatry mm-hmm. is more what is being taught. And, and we'll talk about this here, that Naboo does have some power. Right. He is absolutely a being who could go toe-to-toe, give a decent fight with the specter. 
Right. We do have the famous scene of throwing down the sticks and them turning into snakes. And and this is a faithful representation of the Old Testament story where Moses did something and the Egyptian magicians were able to do something almost as good in some cases, mm -hmm. close to it. So it's not that they had no power. It's, it's not that they were frauds. the frauds that the specter was was fighting in the 40s yeah, dealing with in the 40s these have power but it's not the same level of power in my modern social justice <laughs> diversity in art representation etc cetera, etc cetera, 2015 mindset i was very very happy that aaron as presented in this story has very dark skin yes. i mean moses looks a lot like charlton heston but aaron shows up and he's in the long robes Many... He looks like a desert-dwelling Egyptian, Middle Eastern gentleman. Extreme mm. awesome kudos yes. for having that that mm -hmm. accuracy in art and it not being distracting. And just like dropped in there like, oh, by the way. Moving towards the, the end of the story, which we know where it's going. But there's a great scene on page 18 where Nabu is walking through the street. There's been a warning of what's of what's to come. So he's walking through the street. Says out into the streets went the agent of fate, trying to prevent what had been fated. The Hebrew hovels smeared with blood, a sign perhaps to ward away the death that comes. But how will it come? Now, the Passover is occurring, and the angel of death is coming to all of the other houses that don't have the blood. And the angel of death looks a lot like the specter. It is. Excellent is a green fog that just seeps mm -hmm. into the area, and it is gorgeous. And reminds me, again, a, a lot of Prince of Egypt, which we will probably address at some point. <laughs> no secret there. That's probably going to be talked about in a lot more detail. But I liked the way that the presence of God was shown in that just as a fog. And once again, here it is just a green fog that coalesces into a skeleton as... Uh, the specter comes and claims the souls. And it is... And, it is rough. And Nabu, with now his helmet on, attempts to go head-to-head -head against the specter. Killing the firstborn. This is not frogs and locusts and a stick turning into a snake. Now we're getting serious. And now, now it's on. But it's not on for very long, actually. No. Because the specter, again, the scale and the scope, he is he ends up being so much bigger than Nabu and than Nabu can imagine him being. Mm-hmm. And I did like that we get a speech from Nabu that mm -hmm. he sees himself as the hero. Oh, absolutely. I am prepared against your return. You caught me unaware last, but now prepare to face a true lord of order. I am not a man born of woman, and I do not fear you, for the murder of innocence is wrong. He's got a really good point, certainly from the Egyptian perspective. Moses is not the hero of the story. I mean, that no. obviously... However, he underestimates the specter, not just in his power, but in his ability to be reasoned with. Yeah, the specter at this point, God at this point, is in a, this is going to happen. Get mode. out of my way. Yeah. And then speaking of, this is going to happen, get out of my way, as we know, the, the final act in the Exodus story is the people of Israel being led out by Moses 
through the Red Sea, which has some of my favorite art in the whole book. Because as the sea is being separated, so the Israelites can walk through on dry land, the sea is a particular shade of green and white, and there is clearly a skeletal spectral face. Holding back, holding back the Red I mean, Sea. He is the sea, parting. It, just terrific. And then, as the Egyptians attempt to cross through on dry land, he is then the sea that is swallowing them up. The art is terrific. The story is terrific. And that, that's basically basically the end of the story. We then have a one-page of denouement back wrapping up the frame part of the story. But again... What a fill-in. Oh, yeah. And it does have some of the best dialogue on that final page, where the priest has now mm. sort of been forced to recognize how truly horrific that story is. Because when you think about the Exodus, you don't really think about the wasted lives, good and bad, just the utter slaughter and devastation, which is being, you know, compared and, and juxtaposed with what's going on in the in the ongoing Spectre right. series, and the the priest is horrified by what's going on, and the fan of Stranger puts the capper on the issue. I am not sanguine about his judgment. You see, the Spectre's god is not your god of mercy, but of vengeance, and rarely does he turn the other cheek. Interesting. It reminds me a little bit of the movie Legion. Featuring our favorite actor in the world, actor Doug Jones. I've not seen the movie. Have you? I've just mm. heard Doug talk about it and other people talk about it. Right. And the movie is, is about, you know, avenging angels taking the battling on Earth and mm -hmm. the end of the world. Devastation and, and horrible things happening. And Doug Jones is known as a as a Christian and which sometimes confuses people with all the horror movies that he's in. Christian reporter publication specifically asked you know, this movie Legion, there are lots of angels in there, but it seems to be all about wrath and vengeance and, you know, sort of what, what's your take on that? And he said he had you know, talked to the director about that. And the director's vision is, well, this world doesn't have a New Testament in it. This is, what if the Old Testament version of God... Still applied. Still applied. What if the Old Covenant rules still applied? And to some extent, that's sort of what the what the Phantom Stranger is saying, is, is saying yeah. there. That the, the specter is, he is from another time. He is the embodiment <laughs> of the old covenant. Yeah. And you do not want to get in his way. Mm -hmm. I just realized actually that the cover is the specter coming out of the Red Sea. Uh, oh, wow. I just realized that. And Nabu With the red trouble. sky behind him um, as, the, as Nabu drowns. Oh, that's good. The power. Even the presence itself must fear it. Vengeance will be ours, Etrigan. Now this version of the Spectre, simply him being a fully spiritual being without a, a human host, did not last all that long. There was a, a return to form. But it was not Jim, Jim Corrigan. Corrigan. No. In the Day of Judgment miniseries from 1999, the premise was that Jim Corrigan had essentially <laughs> met his quota and that he was no longer doomed to carry the weight of the specter. 
and had passed on from purgatory to heaven, which meant that the specter was without a host and was essentially doing what happened in the Ostrander run, was functioning perfectly fine by itself until a cadre of demons decide to stage a coup on heaven and do so by usurping the power of the specter and fusing it to one of the lords of hell. So now all of God's, the power of God's wrath is bound to this demon who decides he is going to open the gates of hell, unleash Armageddon on the world, and destroy the entire planet before waging war on heaven. Which probably actually would have been a better plot to Legion than, <laughs> than that movie actually had. But okay, I gotcha. And so the Justice League has to attempt to figure out how to stop Armageddon. Which, of course, means they call in the JSA and the Sentinels of Magic. So you call your Zatanna and your Ragman, Deadman, all of the mystical and magical and supernatural characters and just say, how do we stop this? And they basically say, you can't. Mm -hmm. Do you guys not understand? The specter is Superman, but for the spiritual planes. And Superman kind of craps himself a little bit. It's like, there is no one that we have who can go toe-to-toe with this guy. The only thing that we can do is we can ask the angels for help. The angels say, we can't help you. It is outside of our code. We are physically incapable. Mm -hmm. But we can take you, much like Swamp Thing, on a tour of the lands of the dead and find someone willing to take up the mantle of the specter, Mm. rip the specter away from this demon, and... Fuse him with a new host. Then the specter will be on your side, and the specter can take down the forces of hell. Right. Of course, they start by trying to go to Jim Corrigan, who says, <laughs> Peace out, dude. No. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Oh, you were serious. Yeah. yeah, no. Absolutely not. Do you guys not realize this? I thought I was never going to get to heaven. I am currently in heaven. I am not going anywhere. So they go searching purgatory. For souls, essentially willing to sign up for the spiritual equivalent of the Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. This is your get-out-of-hell-free card in exchange for community (laughs) service. Right, I got it. Unfortunately, most of the people in Purgatory are not people that you want, you know, to give the powers of the Spectre to. Except for one guy. This test pilot who'd recently gone mad with power and had to be stopped brutally, as a result of all of the wanton destruction, had ended up in purgatory. Oh, so the guy mad on power. Yeah, it's going to be a going to be a great thing. Well, it's the best we can do at the time, Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan. I loved this concept. First of all, any time that you deal with the specter as an entity who kind of needs some sort of grounding force... I think that's a little bit more interesting, as much as we like the concept of the Ostrander run. It's it's a little heady. Mm-hmm. Yes. This idea of getting a new person to be the specter, you know, it's a legacy character. Exactly. We is. love legacy characters. It's a position. It's a role. It's a job. Mm-hmm. It's not a person. I like that. And it gave a chance for redemption mm. for Hal Jordan because they had revealed that, you know, all the terrible things he'd done had been while under the influence of Parallax. Right. Hello, Actually, Coast City. 
So it wasn't actually him. Right. But he did it. Yes. He's not gonna get, he is not gonna get to go to heaven. Probably ever. He's gonna be trapped in purgatory forever, paying for the things that he did while under Parallax's control. And this is a chance for him to become a hero again. I love that idea because the Spectre is a very OT concept. Right. It's all about vengeance and penalty and payment and sacrifice. But this gives us a chance to see the specter as a spirit of redemption. Mm. That it's a way, right. it's a way to atone for what has happened to Hal mm -hmm. and for him to be able to make that choice, like with Corrigan, to right. choose to take up that mantle in order to do good and know that he is still probably not going to get to go to heaven for a very, 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 very very long time. Mm -hmm. Corrigan canonically was the Spectre for something like 25 or 30 years right. in universe. Right. You know, Hal knows that this is not going to be a pleasant three to ten to <laughs> seventy decades. <laughs> to do the penance for those pretty long list of sins. But it makes him a hero again. Mm -hmm. And this actually brings us to the first time that I met either Hal Jordan or the Spectre. Which was in a supersized issue 150 uh, right. of Green Lantern, where Kyle Rayner got to meet the Spectre when he was super OP as Ion, and Hal Jordan was right. the Spectre, and the two got to talk about free will and the universe. And again, it was another of those interesting conversations where you have these beings who are like almost beyond the powers of comprehension that Ion was so powerful, holding all the power of all of the Green Lanterns in the universe in one being. And the Spectre is such a massive, vast being that the two of them could talk as equals right? and as Green Lanterns. Mm -hmm. And Hal was able to give him advice that only Hal could give him about the importance of humanity. Kyle, I do not know if you believe in fate. Despite the great power you wield, you are but a man who wields it. That alone should stay your hand. It is done. And that was when I was like, man, I have no idea who this Spectre guy is, but he's awesome. I have no idea who this Hal Jordan guy is, but he is awesome. And there was a 27-issue run of the Spectre featuring Hal, but our favorite appearance of Hal was probably the second time you ran into him, was in Identity Crisis. Which, if you are listening to this episode, but you have not listened to Shortbox Showcase, let us just tell you, it is our favorite miniseries story, probably of all time. Not going to bury the lead on that one. If you want to hear about that, we recorded a very long episode, episode of Shortbox 25. Showcase. But we love Identity Crisis. Our favorite scene featuring Hal as the Spectre is in issue four of Identity Crisis, where he has a little chat with Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. who, had all, who had recently come back from the dead. Mm -hmm. And again, you get a character who has come back from the dead talking to his former best friend who is undead. And the two of them just having a chit-chat on Hal's grave, talking about the meaning of life and death, and it's right after the funeral sequence. Mm -hmm. And talking about the cheapness of life versus the value of life and humanity and 
really, 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 really good stuff. And that's the kind of stuff I really like doing with the Spectre, especially with Hal, because he is a much more sort of down-to-earth kind of guy, whereas, you know, Corrigan, hard-boiled cop. Right. He was a little bit of a grounding force on the Spectre, but I think he probably agreed with the Spectre's decisions <laughs> a lot more frequently than Hal. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> and there was a an interesting thing that they did in that 27-issue run where Hal as the Spectre was not just the spirit of vengeance, that he, he avenged mm-hmm. and he laid down smiting on people. But if... Uh, if Eclipso was the spirit mm. of wrath and Corrigan was the spirit of vengeance, then Hal was the spirit of redemption. Mm-hmm. That he himself had taken this role in order to redeem himself and wanted that second chance that he got, he wanted to give to as many people as possible. So it was still a, this is your final warning. Mm-hmm. But he he did give that final warning. He didn't just show up and say... I'm going to stare at you until you die. Yeah, he didn't just show up and say, your number's up. Mm-hmm. He said, your number's up. You have ten seconds to repent. <laughs> Which again... Right? You've got ten seconds to repent or I kill you. Not super redemptive. It's but a start. More, it's something. But, again, warmer and fuzzier... Than the previous Spectre, who was warmer and fuzzier than Yes, that. Eclipso, than the original. So I like that even in that it sort of followed the Old Testament, New Testament of right. ever mm-hmm. so slightly more more merciful mm-hmm. with each incarnation. <laughs> so, again, we've heard great things about the Ostrander run, but the more I think about it, I'm a little hesitant to read about the... The inhuman Spectre? Yeah, the... the the human, the specter who's not inhabited by a human. Certainly, I prefer a Corrigan. It's certainly, I guess, it's sort of the classic. Mm-hmm. The cl- and I, I have a hard time get getting over that. Though, obviously, I like a lot of what you said about this, the Hal Jordan version of of the specter as well. But I think the, generally, I think we sort of come down on the on the side of we like the specter with a human host mm-hmm. than without. I think so. It just gives you more interesting things. I think to do with the character, not not just in the context of the story mm-hmm. where you have the quote unquote secret identity, but you right. have, you have the the human identity. I mean, there are the comic book tropes that probably help exactly a, a little bit, but but you also get this interesting cosmological thing that there was something I read somewhere which always sort of stuck with me, which was an angel's perspective on humanity mm. that humanity was an amphibian, that it was neither a beast nor mm. an angel, and in this particular mm-hmm. story or, you know, mm-hmm. continuity or idea or whatever, the the idea was that this was the thing that was considered abomination and caused the War of the Angels. Was how dare you <laughs> dilute the spiritual essence and put it into meat? That is, that is abomination. That was the splitting point where there was the civil war in heaven and mm-hmm. God basically said, um, I'm God, I will do what I want. <laughs> but yeah, the idea of uh, making beings that can have choices and a world that's fallen and, and then redemption, I think that's, it's that whole story is what angels long to look into. It says in, in the New Testament to trying to make sense of trying to figure it out. But I like that take. 
that Yusa really takes that to a to a new level. That mm-hmm. that that little that little concept. So then the idea that the specter is even a further thing, not a prophet, not an angel. It right. just is, and there is nothing else like it. That even the other supernatural beings don't really get what the specter is because sometimes you can talk to the specter and the specter will listen and will choose and sometimes the specter is just going to run you over like a bulldozer (laughs) and you never really know which one you're going to get right i I like the idea that the actual superpowered beings our actual heroes are nervous wary scared maybe of the specter certainly no matter how powerful you are you should fear the specter a little bit yeah. If, if not a lot. I like when that characterization happens. Be not afraid. Obviously, I'm only saying, you know, the, the, the first thing an angel has to say upon meeting any human is be not afraid. Why? Because you're terrified. Yeah, your immediate human reaction is just fight or flight kicks in, and you can't fight that. Speaking for myself, I think somewhat for Emily, in terms of angelic imagery... I think we prefer the more weird, awesome, weird than the cherubic Cupid firing the arrow. I think that's a... You, you miss a lot of the I, point of an angel. Yeah, if if you dumb it down, water it down to that extent. For anyone who listens to Welcome to Night Vale, mm. I am personally a pretty big fan of the way that Night Vale does angels, where they are treated the same way as, like, the eldritch horrific abominations. Whatever that thing is, it Mm -hmm. is just not right. I love that. You know, that's why spiritual beings, God himself, the angel of the Lord and so on, can be described as awful. You know, awful and awesome are basically synonyms. In in their original meanings, just that one had a little bit more frightening negative connotation than the other did. You know, one is glory and and wonder and majesty, and one is you know terror and power and vengeance. But it's the same thing. It is the same feeling. It's the same response. It's responding to the same the same uh, stimuli, if you will, Uh, awful and awesome. And because I can only go so long without talking about Constantine, on the Constantine TV show on NBC, we had a great Jim Corrigan as a detective who occasionally showed up to help out with the cases. One, I loved the actor. I loved his his take on Corrigan, where he was just this sort of overworked, slightly caustic, sort of stereotypical cop who gets thrown into this world of mystical nonsense and psychics and he tries to shoot a ghost and doesn't work, obviously, and has to just completely recalibrate his understanding of reality because he's bumped up against the weirdness of the world. His first appearance, he was really just a straight cop. Mm -hmm. It's really a a cop story. And in the second appearance, a few episodes later, when things started to get a little weird. Weirder, and... He he was still tracking down criminals, but those criminals had some supernatural mm-hmm. things going on, and Jim didn't quite know how to how to deal with it. And John had to come up to him and whisper in his ear and say, "You know, if this guy hears all of the awful things he's done. Are you really going to put him in a jail cell?" 
And Corrigan has a moment where he sort of looks at John, looks at the guy, lifts his gun, and you just hear the shot go off. In that moment, Corrigan has decided what justice is mm-hmm. and has laid down some vengeance. And it was a, a cool thing. That in his first appearance, there was a moment where he and Zed, the psychic of the team, mm-hmm. sort of brushed hands. And she looked up and saw him you know, bleeding from bullet wounds. And there was this aura that wrapped around him and made a cloak. And his face, the flesh was Did starting to melt off. Did that aura was green? And so she got to see that he would eventually become the specter after he was murdered. And the two of them kind of started having a little bit of a romance. And at one point she told him straight up, I can't look at you because every time I see you, I see you dying. And I don't know if that's going to be tomorrow or if that's going to be next year or 10 years from now, but you are going to die. And he was like, well, I already knew that. So (laughs) if I'm going to die tomorrow, we should live today. And it's a really sweet little moment. And I was like, oh, this is so good. And it's literally five minutes from the end of the show forever. So we got a glimpse of what would have been, I assume, somewhere midway in season two. We probably would have gotten some... Full-on Spectre. Full Spectre action. Full, full Golden Age comp Jim Corrigan Spectre awesomeness. So close. So close. But of course, if John Constantine himself can appear on Arrow, why not Corrigan? Can the Spectre be too far behind in the Arrowverse? I want so much... Jim Corrigan. Just Jim yep. Corrigan. Right. We don't need to have the Spectre, but we don't I need gotcha. to do the weirdness. Gotcha. But if he can just show up and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in town investigating this weirdness, and it turns out to be some science weirdness, he goes, oh, well, I guess that's why John sent me. <laughs> didn't wasn't actually demons. And then someone goes, um, demons aren't real. And he just looks at her and goes, you're undead, and walks away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. And so we want something on iZombie or something on Lucifer. That's not crazy. That's not that crazy. That one's not crazy. The thing I've always <laughs> sort of secretly wanted was for Jim Corrigan and Joe West to bump into each other and just complain <laughs> about detective these... Detective to detective. Yeah, detective to detective. Talk about just the, the insanity that is their lives. Like, man, do you remember when things were normal and you could just, like, shoot a bad guy? And he would go down, the bullet wouldn't go through him, he wouldn't catch the bullet, he wouldn't get bigger because of the bullet, wouldn't turn into a half-shark man, wouldn't actually be a zombie. Remember when things were nice and normal and simple and the world made sense? Hopefully, fingers crossed. And it seems like every three months or six months, Guillermo del Toro is either doing Justice League Dark... Or he's not doing Justice League Dark. Or he's or he trying, is trying to, do... to do it. Or he's never going to do it. So if that gets off the ground, I think the Spectre might have a role there. And of course, since Del Toro puts Doug Jones in everything, in everything. we could have Elongated Man. Because there's no other role for Doug Jones than Elongated Man. Yeah, he's played... I think he was actually born to play him. Yeah, he's played other characters, but mm. he was born to be... Ralph Dibney. Not a, not a bad silver surfer, actually. No. And he's, and he's a literal human cinnamon roll. Like, in real life, he just is Ralph Dibney. Come on, Hollywood. Get with the program. <laughs> and then bringing us up to 
current DCU back to comics, the 2011 reboot of the new 52, and the Spectre was very intermittently used. Phantom Stranger issue or two, I think like one or two issues of that version of Constantine. One Justice League Dark, you know, very used very sparingly. Nothing too significant until Gotham by Midnight, which we'll close the episode with. But but before that, we want to talk sort of more generally about New 52's take on the mystical, on the supernatural, on the magical. So I think there were some hits and misses. One of my favorite books to start with was Demon Knights Mm -hmm. in the New 52. I just loved that because there was sword and sorcery and magic and weirdness and the demon. and Zatanna and Khan. It was, it was a, it was a good it was, mix you of know, um, Xanadu. And it was, it was good stuff. And then, because Madame Xanadu is an eternal character, she was also in this thing called Justice League Dark. And when the Constantine TV show was getting hinted that it was mm-hmm. going to happen, I was like, this seems relevant to my interests. Let me read up about it a little bit. And so before the show started, I read some Justice League Dark. And you liked it, and it was, you know, fairly well recommended. And I enjoyed it. For the first couple of volumes, first like 10 or 10 to 15 issues was pretty good. I poked around a little bit with some of the other weird and mystical characters, Mm -hmm. of course. As a result of the Vertigo Vortex, I picked up some Swamp Thing, a little bit of Animal Man, because Swamp Thing and Animal Man were kind of doing their own thing. I was digging it. But the problem with the new 52, I think just in general, Mm. was that it tried to make a very cohesive universe. Right. And if there's anything you can pick up from the last hour and a half that we've been talking is that the DC universe is not and never has been cohesive. Especially in terms of this, the weird side of stuff. Especially when you get over into the weird, the weird, because there's even the weird half of the DC universe. (laughs) There's like the superhero half and then there's everything else. And then inside of the everything else. Even that doesn't all gel together. Oh, no. you, you can't make it all fit together in a nice, unified, simple cosmology. Because you have the Spectre, who is a literal embodiment of God. And you have the Phantom Stranger, who, depending on your continuity, is actual, factual Judas. Mm-hmm. And that was the the context that they took in the New 52. In the New 52. And they did the thing. That we've been saying you can't do this whole episode. And tried they, to fit it all together. And they tried to blend the DC mystical and the DC supernatural. Mm. And frankly, I think that Swamp Thing did it best. That the Spectre and Swamp Thing and Animal Man and that sort of metaphysical mm-hmm. realm fits together much better than the Spectre fits together with Dead Man and Constantine, Xanadu Zatanna, and, Zatanna yeah. Zanadu, the, right. the DC dark, the right. DC mystical. That right. He just really doesn't gel. Mm-hmm. And they tried, in my opinion, way, 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 way too hard for it to all make sense. And they tried to simplify the cosmology and say that all of these people were uh, agents of the same force. Mm-hmm. The voice. We talked about the voice. We love the concept of the voice. But they took the thing that I loved about the DC Universe and just did it wrong. The multiple pantheons or multiple sources. In in my mind, and proven (laughs) since the 80s, that the DC Universe is an inherently henotheistic world. 
and they tried to just say that it was a Judeo-Christian mm -hmm. world. And I was like, you guys overplayed your hand. Especially in Justice League Dark, where they had a ton of crossovers building up to this whole thing with, with Armageddon and demons and trying to take over the world and hell opening and like spiritual warfare and demons feeding off the populace and ghosts. And they tried really hard to do Day of Judgment and they mm. did not mm -hmm. do it well. It was very unfortunate that it just never came together quite right. I just thought, a lot of the writers that were working in the, the weird side of the DC universe. Scott Snyder doing his own thing in Swamp Thing and Animal Man. Mm -hmm. That worked. It was great. But all the stuff going on in Constantine Justice League Dark, it just, it was just wrong. Yeah, I like the first trade of Phantom Stranger as sort of a standalone, not integrated into the rest of the DCU. But it's when they tried to smash them all together that things didn't hold together quite as well. Yeah, they tried to make a strict hierarchy of who right. is more powerful than who. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you can't do that. Yeah, you can sort of interpret it, and it can be implied, or but it, it can't be laid down as, as law. But for a book that absolutely got the weirdness of the DC universe right, and specifically had just a fantastic take on the specter gotham by midnight and this was not an official new 52 book but it did come out during that time it was right sort at of the very end at the end, very end, end of it into the dc new you mm -hmm. and it, it was just its own weird horror story where they didn't try to cross over with anything exactly except that it took place in gotham batman so shows batman up a shows few up. panels here and there but that series had a really good handle on Jim Corrigan as yes. a detective. The idea that Jim Corrigan, as a weird detective, worked with Batman, who is also a weird detective, and that Batman would vet his cases through the Spectre and say, there's this really weird thing going on. I need you to take a look at is it, it and, tell human me, or not? and tell me if it's supernatural. And he would say, no, this is normal. This is normal. This is weird, but it's not my department. These two... <laughs> are a demon and a ghost, respectively. I'll take those and give them to my team, and we'll take care of it. You, me, the Midnight Shift, we protect the city from the monsters. If we don't, the Spectre does the job. And that sort of is the way that it really should work, mm -hmm. where they all know each other, they work together occasionally, but everybody has their own thing. And they handle their own cases their own way without too much interference. As of this recording, Gotham at Midnight 11 is about to come out. And it ends at 12. Mm -hmm. So it has been canceled. It appears that they'll get a chance to wrap up the story, which is always nice. But yeah, I really love this this version. The premise is yeah, Corrigan and his weird team of detectives who have an incredibly terrible clearance rate of their cases. Oh, yeah. Because their cases, you know, involve, you know, exercising a demon, or, you know, the the solution of the case is not arrest, arrest. arrest. So... They have a worse rate of closure than the X-Files. Like, <laughs> it's bad. But they are the ones who go up against the the oddball and weird and, and spooky cases. And, again, the take on the, the Spectre, here he's back in Corrigan. This this reboot reboots it to that original. 
concept and idea. The original status quo. Exactly. Where Corrigan's a detective, but in this case, he actually has the specter within him. And it's a fight when he's dealing with crime and the misery and all of the seedy underbelly of Gotham City. And by the way, that's pretty much Gotham City. Right. So... You know, the specter is continually wanting to get out. Like, it's it's a struggle to keep the specter in. Were the specter to come out, or when the specter comes out, he destroys sin and sinners sort of within a radius. We say, what did you say? It's a spiritual atom bomb? Yeah. You know, there's a centering, and, you know, out from that center, sin... Is a, a, radi- a, a radius of complete devastation... Of all that is not pure. Which, if you are a human being, includes you. Exactly. I really liked the way that they they handled this. You know, I didn't realize this until issue uh, seven or eight. But that really, the specter is the DC Universe Hulk. Mm, That you gotta gotta hold him back all the time. And that's the thing. You know, Corrigan's always angry. (laughs) There's that. He just holds him back and then occasionally he turns into this giant green rage monster of absolute devastation Mm -hmm. this goes to the uh thing we were talking about about sometimes when you see the specter he's 30 feet tall 80 feet tall the specter's like 250 feet tall (laughs) when he is eventually released it is not even godzilla it is it is hyper godzilla Mm -hmm. of these massive embodied spiritual forces battling over the city like straddling the borders of gotham they are so vast and as we said specter and his team of police officers detectives don't have a great clearance rate and there are dead bodies in their wake from him and so some internal affairs investigators you can trace where corrigan is and where a group of dead bodies and he's being you know investigated from the police brutality etc and one of his teammates, Detective Drake, has to break him out. Because her line is something, we can't let them take him. Because if he goes to Blackgate or to Arkham, it will be... in the It will be devastation. The specter cannot be allowed... Anywhere near that. You know, prolonged exposure to those two dens of sin and insanity and, and blackness and, and villainy. Evil and evil. No. Anything is better than putting him anywhere near those places. I thought that is a great insight. And one of the things I liked that Gotham by Midnight did is that it teased the Spectre, but it held him off really for quite some time. You mentioned the Hulk, certainly in the TV show, the Hulk. There were two Hulk outs every episode. One about minute 10 and one about minute 52. It was very predictable when when the Hulk outs would happen. But I liked here that they, they held back. They showed a lot of patience mm-hmm. with the Spectre coming out. And a lot of moments where you could see uh, Corrigan himself Almost sort of starting wanting, to lose control, yes. having to having remove to fight, himself. Yes. And it's an issue four and five when... The Spectre finally does come to town. And just, again, the scope and the scale they get right, which I like. Then just some of the the narration of what's happening when the Spectre comes out. This is a little bit from, from issue five. And the Spectre turns his eyes toward heaven, and thunder rolls, 
but it's not really thunder. And every window in the city shatters, and every living person falls to their knee, and every motor, every device, everything goes silent. That sound was the voice. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In measured a hundredweight and penny pounds. I just I love that. And again, there was that great anticipation because it was not just a Spectre book. It was Jim Corrigan as part of the team. So it wasn't like you're necessarily being led al- led along in like the negative mm-hmm. sense. You know, this was building and building as part of other stories that they were telling. So I really like that. There was also a annual mm-hmm. that was produced, sort of a standalone story, and it featured the gentleman ghost. That was a pretty great story. But the Spectre, not a fan of ghosts, as in ghosts violate the order of how things are supposed to be. And the Spectre does not like things that are not supposed to be, especially on the revolving death and the, the, the afterlife and the spiritual <laughs> yeah. plane. So he was not a fan of the Gentleman Ghost. And I'm a fan of the Gentleman Ghost, but there's no reason why the Spectre should be. That was a really good characterization. Yeah, and what was his greatest line ever? Dead men lie down and rise not again. Thus speaks the Lord. With green lightning sparking from his 30-foot eyes. Yes. So I think in terms of representations of the Spectre, and I would say understandings of the Spectre, at least this most modern incarnation, which is coming to an end in terms of Gotham by Midnight, I think really has it really, really good. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Maybe this version of the Spectre will appear elsewhere down in, in future DCUs. If Frankly, they... maybe he'll get folded back into Constantine the Hellblazer. Yeah, that would be fine. And I would be so down with that. That could work. If I could have my Constantine TV show reunion comic. <laughs> but I really like this version, and I hope that whenever the character comes back, in whatever guise or form or guest starring role or, or, or whatever, that they can hew pretty close to where they have him now. I think this was a great series that really understood what it was going for. This series is an example of something that's actually pretty rare at DC, especially right now, which is the creator-driven, unique, Mm. concept-pitch story. That a lot of times, especially with some of the slightly bigger names, 
There's a lot of shuffling around of creators, and there's a real feeling of try something for five issues, and if it doesn't work, shake it up. At this point, the Superman fans are yelling at their Zonophones. Right. You know, and and that's a very annoying thing for fans, mm-hmm. and it means that a lot of your really interesting, artistic concept, like high concept comic books, you can't really pull them off at DC, because you don't know if yeah. you're going to be there more than four issues. Right. The artist did change after... Uh, issue five, I believe. But it's been the same writer through the whole thing. All 12 issues written by the same guy. Ray Fox. Mm -hmm. And again, I think he really understands his version of the Spectre. Right. And his version of the Spectre is a very interesting version of the Spectre, which he executes really, really well. We've currently got the the issues sitting Mm -hmm. right next to each other. And there is a certain certain similarity just between the covers mm-hmm. of Spectre 14 and Gotham by Midnight 5, where you have that sense of awe and power and horror. Especially Gotham by Midnight is a horror comic. It is about evil and unnatural things and monsters and terror. And that really works pretty well for Spectre, that it's not a superhero book. Never mm-hmm. really has been. Right. It's always been a monster story. It's just that monster happens to be divine. So that is our brief look at 75 years of comics. It may not look brief on your iPhone. But considering... It may not seem brief. But considering it was 75 years of comics, I'm pretty proud. I think that was a brilliant <laughs> summary. <laughs> and again, this is a character that we really like. It's a concept we really like. Again, it is, it is right up our alley in terms of imbuing, as Emily said, divine attributes and these the the spiritual with the superheroic world and how those things interact. So we've really enjoyed this opportunity to look through some old Spectre, some medium Spectre, and again we we've been reading the most recent Spectre and and really enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. Once there are trades of Gotham by Midnight, pick them up. Hopefully it'll end at issue 12 well, and in my mind I can think of it as a 12-issue maxi-series. Right. Not as a series canceled before it's it's time. Well, Well, we want to thank you all for listening to us probably do some rambling. Mm, Most likely. Throughout theology and comics history and various and sundry other things. We uh, appreciate you listening. And we don't make promises about our release schedules, and rarely do we promise what will be coming next. But our next episode will be the Dorkness to Light Holiday Special, along with some feedback before the end of the year. Keep your eyes on the feed. I try not to say things are going to happen until they've been recorded. That one hasn't been recorded yet, but I believe... We have faith. We have faith that that will happen. But until then, may the Force be with you. And also with you. Special thanks to Michael Bailey from thefortressofbailey2.com for providing the voice of the Spectre. While you're waiting for the next podcast episode, 
check out our websites. DarknessToLight.blogspot.com contains reviews, essays, and other similar ramblings. And DarknessToLight.tumblr.com, which contains some of that material, as well as top tens, cool photographs, memes, and religious puns. We also run a general interest comic book podcast network, Relatively Geeky. That content can be found at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes for Relatively Geeky. Let us know what you think of this topic, this episode, or this podcast in general. Feel free to send your thoughts to us at dorknesstolight at gmail.com. We would also appreciate any ratings or reviews left for the podcast in the iTunes store to help like-minded people find us. Our intro, outro, and promo music is by Anderson Kale. Check them out at andersonkale.com or search iTunes to purchase their music. Additional music used in this episode was The Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash from his 2002 album American Four. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.